Before we officially start, I must give a special shout out to the boys over at Recovery. Much like myself and the lads, Chris and Ian are a couple of rugby fanatics like we all are, and they've created various products with recovery in mind based around natural CBD remedies. Head over to their Instagram page or website and use the code FREEBLOKES, that's the number three followed by blokes, for 10% off all their natural products and feel the benefit today. Good afternoon, good morning and good evening from wherever you're watching or listening from. My name is Jamie Robinson and welcome to episode 97 of Three Blokes and the Rugby League podcast. The official countdown towards the NRL finals have officially started and it's in five weeks' time. But J.D. Moss-Goddard and Callum Wood are here with me every step of the way. We're also covering Super League as much as we can as well. We know we have a bit of a backlog over here in the Northern Hemisphere. We've got about 15 games to catch up on overall. Um, I believe that have been cancelled because of COVID, but we might have a bit more catch-up time now that the Rugby League World Cup has been postponed. But we'll dive right into NRL Round 21 this weekend, lads. It was another barn burner. And the first game of the weekend was something that I covered. It was the Newcastle Knights 28, the Brisbane Broncos 20. I'm, I'm quite glad I got to analyse this game, actually. You know, this, especially with both teams in their current state, you know, it was really interesting. Newcastle are picking up a bit of form, coming into the back end of the season with the likes of Ponga, Pierce, and Best all fighting fit again. A really scary combination trio there. And finally, Brisbane are actually showing some heart and determination, a bit of will going forward. Um, obviously, they don't want that second consecutive wooden spoon, do they? It, it would be one of the worst things to happen, not only to Brisbane, probably the competition as well. Both teams showed exactly what they're made of. It was a really good game to watch. Brisbane were unlucky. Um, it was it was kind of the middle third of the game that really let them down. Um, and, and Newcastle were quite sluggish in the back end. Um, but they, they were so lethal in their attacking play. It was fair, really good to watch both sides. Although it was a kind of a bit of a late barrage by Brisbane with, with a lot of points in the last five, final 15 minutes, they, they were heavily out of the game um, based on their stats more than anything else. They had seven minutes less with the ball. They ran 400 less metres. They kicked 96 less kick metres as well and made far more errors. Despite all of this, they still managed to make an actual, an actual game of it. I think, I think what, what is running right for Newcastle at the minute and why they're in such good form is them three players that I mentioned before and that left side, you know, left side, strong side is, is something that's kind of spoken about in rugby league or right side, strong side. Every team has a stronger side to attack and defend with and it's something that I've been highlighting the past couple of weeks with kind of Ponger and Best especially. But this week, they were even more unbelievable adding Mitchell Pearce to that equation. When, when, when Caelan Pong is running at you with speed, you have a selection of runners in Mitch Barnett, Lachlan Lewis, um, Bradman Best as well. When Mitchell Pace can run inside you as well and give a tips play to someone, it must be a total nightmare for an opposition defender. If the majority of this left side can just stay fit, and they, honestly, can, they can surprise a few teams in the playoffs. Last week, I mentioned five out of the six tries are all on that left side. This week, it was pretty much the same. I think there was only one try that Newcastle didn't score that any of them players didn't have a hand in. Kind of, we know we know that Brisbane rely heavily on their pack. They have done for at least two seasons, probably even a third season, especially when Payne Haas started coming into the fold. No matter who's playing, really. But I think I think it's the fact that they seem to be doing so much more work in attack that affects their kind of middles defence. A collective twenty-two missed tackles were from their starting pack alone. So out of them, six blokes who started in the pack, um, and eleven tackle breaks amongst the Knights' starting forward pack as well. So. This is something that Adam Reynolds especially will be looking to tighten up in attack and especially in 
when um, kind of Tessie New is, is massive in defence at the minute as well, he's, he's got to be barking out a lot of orders. It does show us if you do, he's, he's really good putting all the work in an attack, but you've got to work hard in defence as well. And 11 tackle breaks versus 22 missed tackles, it, the, the, the stats are there and it's showing that they're just not strong enough in the middle at the minute, Brisbane. And if they are, they're very fatigued when they're trying to do so. Bringing up Tessie New, it's, it's been a conundrum for a lot of years at Brisbane, especially when Darius Boyd started getting a bit old and, and his legs started giving up on him. But I think Tessie New is, I think I said this earlier on the season about Jermaine Asako, but Tessie New must be their starting fullback now, especially for a lot of years to come. There's heavy rumours that he's going to sign a three-year deal coming up as well. And I think they should be really happy with it. Watching this game in a bit more depth, I haven't really seen Brisbane quite a lot in the past couple of weeks. It was really interesting to see what he's, give, what he's bringing the fullback role for Brisbane. Bearing, bearing in mind that they've got some, you know, if they do some sort of left field off-season transfer to bring in at fullback, I think Newey pretty much has the, the number one shirt nailed down. You know, he's looking more confident with the ball in hand every week, which is probably a weaker part of his game early on in the season, if I'm honest. He's got the speed, he's got the agility, he's got the footwork, but, you know, the, the modern-day fullback has to have it all in his attacking locker and he's managing to get all this as well. Um, and he seems like a very strong bloke. He's got a small kind of um, centre of gravity, which always works really well for a fullback. You think of someone like James Tedesco, he's not the tallest bloke, but when he kind of crouches down and he's got that agile nature about him, it really works in the attacking line. Um, he managed to try in this game. He got a try assist. He got six tackle breaks, one line break and two line break assists. Top, top stats then. You know, something, I mean, I'm going to say if Tommy Turbo's getting them, but that's probably a, a, a poor day at the office for Turbo. But they're, they're really good stats for an NRL fullback. I don't see Kevy picking anyone else in that lineup as well. Jermaine Asako's on, on the fringes at the minute. Corey Oates isn't, isn't really getting a chance. He's more sitting at the uh, the wing position. Someone like Jesse Arthur or Katoni Stagg seems to be favoured in other positions as well. And like I say, if they're going to buy someone else in the off-season, I think Tessie New's got that nailed down. You know, Jed, I've just mentioned two blokes there who've been a big part of the Brisbane club for a lot of years, Isako and Corey Oates, but someone who, who all three of us, I think, are, are big favours of, um, big, so we, we're favouring massively, is Xavier Coates. And he's not getting a game at all recently since he's kind of, you know, quote-unquote, had a poor state of origin. I don't really believe he has. And, and when it, since he's been announced for, that he's signing for Melbourne, do you think it's some kind of underhanded tactic that they just don't want to play him anymore or is something just happening behind the scenes? I don't know. I, I, I can imagine it being something maybe behind the scenes. Um, I don't think you can particularly pin Queensland's poor origin on Xavier Coates. Um, and, but he wasn't actually picked in one of the squads. If you remember, he got called up as a replacement because I can't remember that one of the wingers were injured. So wasn't obviously pulling up any trees with the, with the Queensland selectors either. Um, I think some of it will have to do, obviously, with his move to Melbourne. Um, I can't imagine Coates being the type of player to check out early. Um, if you get me, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult one, especially when I think Jermaine Asako has been playing the on the uh, well on the wing at the moment, but I don't think Corey Oates is doing anything particularly amazing or nothing that um, Xavier Coates can't do. Uh, so no, it's a tricky one, Jermaine. I'm, I don't really know, but I can imagine it's it's probably is going to be quite heavily linked to the fact that he's going to Melbourne next year and they're wanting to build for the future. Yeah, but what's your thoughts on it, Woody? I agree with all that you just said. And I think what's probably a bit unlucky for him is that in like the five games since he's been frozen out of the team, they've actually found a bit of form, won a couple of games and been in a couple of others. So whether they just don't want to change that winning or, you know, competing formula at the minute. But yeah, I agree. It's, it can't all be pinned on him like Queensland or Broncos form through the season. Yeah, definitely. So. And I do wonder if, you know, 
There's been a couple of weeks talking about the NRL loan system. I bet a team would love to pick him up. Imagine the Roosters who are lacking in backs at the minute would easily pick up Xavier Coates or even the uh, the Bulldogs at the minute as well. So, bit of a bit of a talking point there for another time. Last but not least, Woody, I brought him up in 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 previously. Caelan Ponger, Bradman, Best, Mitchell Pierce. You've got an Ari Tuala on the wing. You've got someone like Lachlan Fitzgibbon, Mitch Barnett on that left hand side, fully fighting fit, man. That left hand side is is one of the best in the league, isn't it? Yeah, I agree with you there, mate. Rank it pretty highly when they're all fitting on the pitch. And the three you've mentioned, Ponga, Best and Pierce, we've kind of been robbed of seeing them together so far this season. I think that's the first time all three played together in 2021. So, you know, there's still a, a bit of understanding to rebuild and improve, even on what they showed at the weekend. You know, Newcastle have got some really big games and they're running now to try and squeeze the playoffs. So having the, the likes of those firing together will be massive in trying to sneak into that top eight. Yeah, all three blocks have been devastated by injury this season. I really hope they can stay fit for a, a good couple of months at least. Thank you for that, Woody. Mitchell Pierce, five points for me. Caelan Ponga, four. Tessie Newey, three. Tyson Frizzell, who, who had a top game as well. I give him two. And Mitch Barnett, who I'm ever impressive with, one point. Woody, bouncing back straight to you, mate. Canberra Raiders, 20. St. George, Illawarra, 12. It was actually Jerry Moss Goddard. I do that every single week. It's almost like we need to write the names down. Um, bit of a boring game, Jed, if I'm honest, but you know, it was nice to see a closer game at least. Yeah, definitely, mate. And I think this is a type of game that both teams needed. Um, Raiders obviously now really starting to pick up a bit of momentum towards the finals. And St. George needed, I think, even if they were going to lose, they needed to lose by a close to margin. Obviously, they got absolutely bullets 50 points to 14 against the, uh, the Rabbits last week or the week before, should I say. So, yeah, but no, it wasn't an exciting uh, exciting game at all, really. 28 points to 12 in favour of the Raiders, it finished. Um, I mean, I don't think Raiders are going to care, though. Um, they've got the two points, and as I said, they're starting to pick up a little bit of form and, and, and to definitely respond in the way that they did after that uh, tough defeat against the Knights the week before. Um, I think they'll really need that, and I'll take a lot of confidence from it. If you look at the stats, you can see just how even this game was. Uh, 51% uh, for the Raiders, 49 for the Dragons. Uh, sorry, in favour of the Dragons. 80% completion for the Raiders, 83% for the Dragons, and only 37 metres separating total runs with Dragons just edging that one as well. I mean, if you actually look at the stats overall, not to be too stats heavy, but the Dragons did seem to have a slight edge on the majority of the, most of the stats um, and probably should have won it. So Canberra will take huge pride in this as, as if you go back to the Canberra of old when they were having all the off-field issues, this probably wouldn't be a game that the Canberra had managed to win and, and how many times this season have we seen them capitulate when they've been the better team? So to pick up a win when they weren't really the better team in an even match, I think that'll do wonders for the confidence. The Dragons look completely gone. I know we touched on it last week. The captain and the best player this season, Ben Hunt, is out now for the rest of the season. They look totally flat. They've gotten no real spark at all. Zach Lomax, who is a personal favourite of mine, he's tried to make an impact. But when you're not getting the ball and it's not coming out to your edge, if you're an attacking outside edge, you're not really going to get the platform to show what you can do. Um, and I mean, if you look at the tries in general, you had a lovely flick back from Smith Shields, which allowed Rapan to score a try. Um, you had Tarek Sim scored with a nice little bit of footwork, um, a probing run from Stalin, which is what we used to win. Um, but probably only Max Fanai's try was the was the result of a try that was through nice shape um, and spread it well to the win and, and, and executed it quite well. But I think that shows how much the Dragons are struggling with their structure at the moment and just don't seem to have any organisational skills. I'd say that was the only bit of thing that they did and it resulted in a try. And, and, and maybe if they could replicate that a bit more often we might see them have a little bit more stability and that can be totally said about the Raiders throughout the season no stability or no real structure um, but they seem to have turned a little bit of, of a corner at the moment 
Um, it seems like Griffin might have given up on Matt Dufty for his, uh, but his replacement in Jack Bird, who can play absolutely everywhere and is loving life at fullback at the moment. He's clocked 179 run meters in this game, 13 tackle busts, which when you're as big as, as, and strong as Jack is, you're probably ex- probably not surprised by that. But obviously he's such a unit as well and doesn't really lose any speed because of it. And, and I'm going to throw it over to you guys now. Is there a more, Jamie, I'll come to you first. Jamie, is there a more versatile player than Jack Bird, who's not only versatile, but actually very, very good NRL standard in numerous positions? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I think I think there's a lot of players these days who are quite versatile. You know, you look at someone like Kurt Mann, um, you look at someone like Ben Hampton, these guys get chucked around a lot. Um, but, you know, them type of players we've brought up, they're kind of maybe five or six out of ten every week. But Jack Bird will always, will always dig in in defence. He'll always take a run in. He'll always bring his teammates up from the floor when he needs to. I never really saw him as a fullback, if I'm honest. I always thought his better position would eventually be a 13. But, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a world-class centre on his day. He's a good number six. He can play back row. And now he's playing well at, at fullback as well. Yeah, I'm pretty inclined to agree with you there. And I'm, I'm pretty sure Woody will be the same way. Yeah, I'm with you there as well. And I think what makes him stand out compared to, you know, other utility players like, I don't know, maybe Connor Watson, John Asiata, they're often from the interchange coming on wherever. But Bird actually starts games in lots of different positions and seems to kind of rotate through them every few weeks wherever he needs to fill in. And like you say, he's class whatever position he's put in at the minute. Totally agree. And I'd say in, in response to that, Jamie, about being a, a loose forward and number 13, I think eventually one day he will go to that position. Maybe when he gets a little bit older and he maybe doesn't have the speed that he's currently got, I think he'd be an absolutely world-class 13 uh, and will really grow into that position. Um, the big lock forwards in this game, in, in Joe Tarpany of the Raiders and Jack DeBellin uh, for the Dragons were both outstanding. And, and how they played typified what type of game it was. It was a tough battle, fighting for every inch, not going to be the prettiest, proper scrapping to get every bit of yardage that you can and, and doing the hard graph. Uh, Tarpany got 128 run metres with 15 runs, 35 out of 36 tackles, two tackle busts and three offloads. Obviously, we know that his offloading is a, is a big part of his game and he used it very, very well in this one. Uh, and Jack DeBellin uh, continuing his, his, his strong return uh, with 150 run metres, three tackle busts and 49 out of 49 tackles, did not miss one. And in a game, as I've mentioned, as tough and gritty as this one, that's a, a real big tick for, for, for Jack DeBellin. Woody, Canberra are picking up some four. The four wins out of the last five. Can they make the finals? And if they do get there, do you reckon that they could make a dent in that final series? On making the finals, they obviously definitely can qualify, but they've got a really tough running and I think they're going to need to beat at least one of Storm, Manly or Roosters to qualify. And then even then they've got the Warriors as well, which isn't a given at the minute. They're grinding out results. Um, another part, if they, can they make a dent if they do qualify? A few months ago, we and me especially are writing their season off completely so because you can't put anything past them on this current run. I still don't think they probably get near the top three, especially, or maybe the Roosters, but you know, could definitely put the Eels away, I'll say that. I think that everybody could put the Eels away at the moment, apart from the Cowboys, but I'm sure we'll touch on that later on. And yeah, I totally agree. I think a lot of it does depend on Jack White. And last final series, or finals before, should I say, uh, when they lost to the Roosters, he was my MVP of that final series and really upped his game, but where he's played this season. I don't know whether that would be feasible for the man. Uh, to wrap up my points on this game, Tarpany with five, Jack DeBell in four, uh, Jack Whiten, who actually did play quite well in this game and, and, and did some nice touches, but still not really getting back to where he was. Uh, with three, uh, Ravalala two, and Jack Bird, Mr. Versatility with one. Up next, I'll try not to enjoy this too much because it's going to come back twice as hard for me later on in the podcast, but it's not looking good for your boys at the moment, is it, mate? Parallel losing again, this time to the Rabbits, 40 points to 12. And uh, yeah, now you know how it feels to be me week on, week out. Certainly doing, yeah. It's not looking good. I had a little pop at the Eels then, so I might as well carry on rolling into them. 
main thing I'll say was at least it wasn't unexpected. Exactly how it should have gone, really, on form. And I genuinely am surprised we mustered a couple of tries when the game was long gone. Went 140 minutes of rugby league without Paris scoring a point until Sivo's try. Give me strength. That's, that's over the course of three games. It's absolutely painful. Bunnies, brilliant, dazzling, textbook. But where's the plan to try and defend against them? The left side for Bunnies is obviously lethal. That's no secret. So often, Hayes Dunster, who's out on the Eels' right, was, he's left three on one, 30 metres infield. What else is going to happen there other than Josh Mansour scoring tries, eating metres, making breaks, which is exactly how it turned out. Any sort of tip-ons on or overs line from the Bunnies and they're through the middle with these two, you know, opening us up everywhere. On the other side of the ball for Eels, even having Mitch Moses back made no difference until it was too late. He finally came to life a bit late on to get a few consolation tries and finally get us on the board. Enough on our shortcomings now, though. Haven't got the energy. <laughs> Same as the last few weeks. Know how you two feel. Reed Marnie's out for the season now. The white flag's long been waved and I'm just hoping we put you, your Cowboys away in the running, Jed. On to the bunnies then. That green and red machine, absolutely going ahead at full steam. Seventh game in a row now, they've scored over 30 points. Nine wins on the spin. Can't wait to see what they do in the playoffs. Utilised that left edge so well early, but you know showed their full box of tricks through the game. Switch back players from Cody Walker, nice little kicks through. Forwards like Chloe Matungi offload at the right times and, and don't over offload as well. Mentioned in there, but Cody Walker is always two, two steps ahead of play. He and Luttrell opened the games up for the likes of Mansour, Dane Gagai, Jackson Paolo to run right in the back line, really. Scored some really nice tries and absolutely put it to bed just after half time. They got three tries in an eight minute period and that was the end of it. Mentioned their pack week after week. They've been dominating for a long time now. And such a brutal unit. Chloe Matungi, I've mentioned. Tom Burgess punching holes and taking names. Tavita Totola came off the bench and, and looked really impressive. But Cameron Murray, especially, what a superb player he is. They haven't lost with him in the side since round one against the Storm. That's 12 wins in a row now and he's playing, which shows you how crucial he is to that team. Final word, though, and then I'm going to save it for Adam Reynolds. He's now South Sydney's record ever point scorer. Absolute class act. A worldy goal kicker. And that's a, a really great accolade for him to take away in his last bunny season. And it's time to see what they can do against a full-strength Storm and Panthers now. And I think the Eels are destined to finish sixth the way it's going. A bit of a talking point which has kind of developed recently and one which I'd obviously be very interested in. There's murmurings about Wayne Bennett potentially coming into the Eels after this season. Jamie, I'll throw that to you. What's the likelihood you think of that happening and how big a scoop would that be for the Eels if they could get that? I, 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 wait, I mean, he's, he's still clubless for next year. Obviously, he's leaving the bunnies. To the best of my knowledge, I don't think he's signed on anywhere, even as like a consultant or a you know a general manager or anything. And I'm guessing he'll want to stay in the game in some regard. There's been no announcement that he's retiring or anything like that. Obviously, with rugby league, especially the NRL, are really good at keeping these type of figures within the game. You think of Phil Gould, you think of Craig Bellamy, you think of Wayne Bennett. These older guys need to be staying in the game, really. And, and it's, it's no good them floating off into the system. Even Tim Sheen's coming back over and, and helping out with the Tigers. If, if, if Wayne Bennett offered his services to Parramatta, take it and run. Take it and run, mate. You, you've seen what he did at the Brisbane Broncos in his first stint. You saw what he did at the Dragons. He won, he won it with them. Newcastle, not so much. I, I guess he, he struggled a bit with them. England, he got us to a World Cup final. You know, Queensland, he, he did it again with Queensland last year. And, and the Bunnies, you know, he's not really won anything with the Bunnies, but they've got to three consecutive prelim finals in a row. And they're probably on the way to doing it again this year, barring some catastrophe. The form that they're in at the minute, they, I think teams are peaking so much, so well at the minute. You know, you look at 
the bunnies, you look at Manly, look at Knights, Stormer, a, a world class. Penrith are slowly getting back up there as well. You boys are in a mess. You you are you boys are in a mess, and I know I've, I've deviated a bit there, and we'll probably round back up to that. But if, if Wayne Bennett wanted to come and if he's available, I'm not sure what happens with Brad Arthur. I think if this season does go, you know, bottoms up and you end up getting embarrassed in the playoffs, it might be the end of Brad Arthur. But yeah, Wayne Bennett, take it and run, mate. Take it and run. Complete agreement with you there. I'm not getting too excited about it yet, but it's a nice thought anyway. Uh, you mentioned our season's kind of going down the pan at the minute. I'll bring this to you, Jed. I mentioned Reed Marnie's now going to be out for the season. So we've got Lussick as a bas- as a backup, but you know, is that game over now for the Eels? And, or does it really matter at this stage? I think it really matters at this stage. Um, but losing one of your main stability centrals figures on the park... Uh, in Reed is, is, is a huge blow. Uh, don't get me wrong, I do like Lussick. I think he's a good replacement and has obviously bad recent form. Um, has done okay for you, but especially in the early parts of the season. But losing a player of, of his calibre at this stage in the season when things aren't going particularly well, he's, he's not going to do you any favours, mate. And uh, yeah, I can't see him making a dent. I don't know what you think on that, Jamie. Yeah, I, I was going to ask, I was going to fire it back to you, Woody, but it, it, from the games I've seen, granted, I've not watched Paramount games week in, week out for, for the full 80 minutes, but since he kind of did his show the first time around this year, he hasn't really seemed like the same player, mate. I, 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 you might be able to, to shine some light on that to me. Yeah, I'm with you there. He has looked off it for a few weeks, as we obviously have as well. And I was quite happy when Joey Lussett was in there, to be honest. I think he was looking a decent part, to be fair. So I'm not sure how massive a loss it really is, because I think Marnie's probably played well for five or six games now anyway. Yeah, fair enough, mate. And, and, and last but not least, you've obviously got one discussion topic. We could talk about this every single week coming into the... Uh, the end of the season. Yeah, I mentioned Adam Reynolds in there breaking their all-time scoring record, but we've mentioned it before, but why on earth have the Bunnies let him go? How could they only find a one-year contract for him and not just give him two or three like he wanted? I think what makes it a bit more confusing as well, that the, the paper talk and, and the quite well-regarded paper talk as well, not just kind of people like us who were talking on, on podcasts, you know, people who were involved with, with the club and, and work closely with the coaches we're saying that it was basically a choice between Adam Reynolds and Dane Gagai, but it's been revealed that this morning that Dane Gagai is going to Newcastle. So now they've got a, a truckload of salary cap, I assume. Dane Gagai is off. Um, obviously, Adam Reynolds is off now. I, I don't know what's happening with Benji Marshall. There's probably a few other names that you boys can think of as well that I can't think of at the top of my head. But I think in all my time watching rugby league, this is the most question-markable release ever I don't know why they're letting him go um, I think it could be one of the biggest mistakes and especially because no offence they're replacing him with Anthony Milford um, and I, I I think next year the Bunnies could be in trouble I, I don't know I'd, I'd hate to, I'd, I'll, I'll pass it over to you Jed but I think our um, hero in Jason Demetrio is in for a tough year next year yeah, it definitely is um, and especially but he has been learning off the best um, I could only I couldn't really presume that they are going to go with Milford or maybe he's there as a backup but then what do you do with Marshall you're not having two backups and Marshall probably not have the legs to play obviously 80 minutes every game unless they've got a young guy in in, in the academies that they're wanting to push through and, and wanting the tutelage I don't know but yeah JD is in, in for a tough tough year uh, but obviously back him all the way because he's a wicked legend um, just to wrap up on the, the points in this game, Josh Mansell, it was nice to see return uh, onto the try line with five. Uh, Murray Fowler, Trail Mitchell with three, Dane Gagai two and Cody Walker one. And up next, a real close, uh, close battle uh, and one that was uh, treated to you yourself, Jamie. How did you find this one between the Warriors and the Sharkies? Yeah, it was 18-16 to the Warriors and kind of continuing the trend from round 20 in general. 
from last week. Um, these these two sides performed exactly like you would have assumed. You know, the Warriors once again pulled out a dogged, resilient performance. Um, when in all seriousness, they'd, they'd have been they'd have been forgiven for kind of throwing in the towel. I think, if anything, um, and the Sharks are switching off for an entire forty minutes of rugby league, just unacceptable. Not showing any sort of leadership and just crumbling at the first sign of pressure. Sharks Shark should really be putting these games to bed. You know, we were talking about them as top eight prospects. I think that's slowly slipping away as the weeks go on. But I think it's very telling that they're, they're, they're missing key members of the squad. We know that they are, especially with the likes of Sean Johnson and Wade Graham. Big experience, big leadership skills, work hard under pressure. And, and the defence just, just seems to lack total commitment in the second half of this. And, and the Warriors are just not the type of team that are going to slacken off. Now, missed tackles for both sides with 38 apiece. But if you look at ineffective tackles, which is a stat that measures poor contact and collision, so kind of those flailing arms that you see that are kind of class as any sort of contact, but it's not stopping the attacking player. In this game, New Zealand Warriors had nine, which is probably a fair amount. And that nine in general is probably what I did at university level in one game. Um, but Cronulla had 32. 32 ineffective tackles when they've already missed 38. That's almost 80, you know, ineffective slash missed tackles overall. That's the difference right there. That is the difference of, of commitment and putting your body on the line and showing that you want to work towards um, a good result at the end of the day. And playoff rugby league is what they're fighting for. Sharks put on a couple of decent set plays in, in attack and some of which were beautiful and really well thought out. Jed, I know a massively underrated player that you really enjoy watch playing, Connor Tracy. He can play absolutely everywhere. Talking about versatility, you know, about Jack Bird. He's one of them players as well. He's got really slick hands and he's very good at disguising and out of the back ball and actually giving a short ball to an inside running middle. Um, usually someone like COC for Talakai or, or Braden Hamling Ueli, two, two absolute brutes at, at, at the worst of times. He did this a few times actually watching the game and, and kind of he sucks in the defensive line really well and eventually they sucked in so far that someone like Britton Nakora could run on a clean line on the outside play and 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 just dive straight over the line and, and bashed young Reese Walsh out of the way. Unfortunately, he's just not strong enough really for, for them one-on-one -on -one tackles. Really well thought out rugby league and it's kind of it's these type of players that I, I used to kind of learn more about watching rugby league when Jonathan Thurston would put them on our Cooper Cronk, they would work and work and work set upon set to eventually be able to disguise it and give it out the back and really clever from Connor Tracy and he deserves a lot of plaudits for it. Turning on, on the other side of things, the edge running player for the Warriors works really well and, and it did do last week against us boys at the Tigers as well. Every time that I've watched them, usually they've got kind of a big bustling second rower, back rower or muscle the way through like a Tohu Harris, Ben Murdoch, Masilla. Um, but with the likes of you and Aitken at the minute, who's playing his backside off at second row and he's usually centre in Josh Curran, you know, two, you know, NRL average sized lads, they put me to shame, right? But the, the, the two average sized lads in that Warriors pack, they've got huge hearts, they've got strong upper bodies and strong legs, obviously, as well, and great offload games. With the likes of Reese Walsh and, and Dallin with Tenny Zelezniak buzzing around, it has the potential to come off every single time and it works. It worked against us last week with weak defence. Sharks obviously have had a really poor defence and I think Josh Curran in general is one of the most underrated players of 2021. I really enjoy watching him play. Equally as, as hilarious watching him come off the field and fall right into the, uh, the barricade because he, he lost his balance on the uh, on coming off the field. That's quite funny. If nobody's seen that, definitely try and watch that on YouTube or on Twitter. Um, 
I mean, we'll come into this later on with obviously the, the biggest talking part of the game, but we'll, I think kind of discipline for the Warriors in general is something that isn't really an issue for them in the past, but it really needs ironing out if they're going to have a good end to the season. They actually had six separate incidents put on report in this game, did the Warriors in, in, in total. They had three sim bins, two of them coming from Kane Evans, which we'll come on to. They conceded nine penalties and three rook infringements. Like I said, they've never really been a side that have been known to be a bit niggly or a bit dirty or a bit rough in the tackle, but it's starting to creep in. I don't know if that's a case of them trying to switch it up a bit with some players missing, they're trying to play rough. But, I mean, to be fair, albeit they've, they've won two in a row now, so it seems to be working to an extent. We'll dive straight into it. Everyone's seen it online. Everyone there is Kane Evans up against Will Chambers. Jed, we'll come to you first. Will Chambers is, is known as probably the biggest sledger in rugby league history, you know, at least in the past 20 years when we've been watching Ken Evans equally is known as the biggest, one of the biggest hotheads. He'll throw a punch at the sign of, you know, a feather falling on his shoulder. There's, there's a lot of talk that Will Chambers has gone in with quite, quite personal um, jibes and stuff at him as well, but still a bit daft to Ken Evans to throw a couple of punches. And obviously he's been simbing twice for two incidents against Will Chambers. What, what's your whole thought on the situation? Yeah, it's just really, really poor from from Evans. I mean, I completely understand why you'd want to throw punches at Will, uh, Will Chambers. I think most players who faced him have wanted to throw punches at some point in the career. But when the game's as close as this one and, and you're not and you're battling out for finals, it's just stupid. A proper brain explosion. And, and I would imagine they'll be highly reprimanded by the Warriors at coaching staff who can't be affording to lose a player like him for, for 20 minutes of the game. Um, if you want to do it, do it in the game. Line up against line up against Chambers, run at him or hit or t- hit him, and you'll you'll hurt him more than two jabs, which Buddy missed anyway. So yeah, just really really poor from from Evans, and hopefully it's something to learn from. But Chambers, we know we're going to expect him. Did he go too far with what he said? That's what people have been speculating in the media. I don't know. I think if you're going to get you're going to try and give yourself an edge in whichever way that you can, and, and he's got under his skin, and Chambers has won that one in the end because he's got um, Ken Evans off the pitch. So yeah, it's uh, one of them, but. Definitely needs to be a better uh, head on his shoulders for Evans, mate. Yeah, I think what was telling was when when Kane threw these punches, not a single Sharks player came to defend Chambers. So I, I, I do wonder if he says something that daft, or if he's even said some, or if he's dusted not a best character off the field that the Sharks had the biggest fan of him. I'm not sure what you think of that, would it? I don't know if you saw the Isaac Luke tweet that got deleted, but he kind of alluded that there was more to it and that. Chambers' teammates are off him currently as well, so he would have done the same as Evans did, which is kind of interesting. And you know, Chambers was out last week uh, against Manley and Dylan Walker, and I don't know, he seems to have just taken his time on the field to being like a bit of a vigilante and sledging and going for players, but he ends up missing the tackle on uh, the winning try anyway, so he got his comeuppance, and he's on about five tackles missed a game average at the minute, so he could probably do a focusing on his rugby a bit more. Yeah, and like you say, mate, they've lost two games in a row to them to them, them exact same games as well, so it's not really working. So last but not least, Woody, I was just going to bring this up. Obviously, we've had about four or five weeks now since the kind of dallying with Tennis Lesniak transferred to the Warriors and Ken Mamalo leaving the Warriors. Do you think it's, it's shaped up to be quite a quite a solid um, switch now? Because dallying with Tennis Lesniak has been brilliant since he's come to the club. Yeah, I think it's worked out well for both so far. I don't know if it's you know a bit of a new environment, new team bounce, but... But settled in well, I think. And just on with Tinny Zalesniak, when he's in form, he's a really handy player. Quite a bit smaller than Mal Marlowe, but he's obviously very well-rounded. He's New Zealand captain recently, so kind of felt like he'd probably end up at Warriors eventually anyway. So a bit of a shame he didn't get to link up with two of Arsashek. But yeah, I think both of you got to be happy with how it's panned out thus far. 
definitely, mate. Thank you very much for that. Come to the points on this one. I put I put Will Kennedy as five points. He was my man of the match, even though he was on the losing side. I didn't bring him up, but we could bring him up every single week. Such a such a good attacking potent threat. Dallin with tennis Lesniak, four. Josh Curran, three. Reese Walsh, two. And Ewan Aitken, one. Sydney Roosters, 14. Penrith Panthers, 20. The next game, Jedi Moss Goddard. Um, a former grand final, 2003 grand final, two of the biggest teams these days and and still quite a good game, even regarding a few big injuries. Yeah, definitely, mate. And I mean, one of the things we've, we've talked about recently on this podcast in regards to the Penrith Panthers is that can they be classed as having top team credentials? I mean, when they don't have their big players, they never seem to step up. Whereas if you compare it to the actual top teams of the competitions in the Sydney Roosters and the Melbourne Storm, whenever they lose big players, they, they seem to possess this inner strength to carry on. But now they have produced that type of performance that we've needed to see from them to, to fully assert themselves as, as challengers for the NRL. Um, and they did it with a lot of the key men. Obviously, Nathan Cleary uh, is out. Uh, they did get Isaiah and Nappy Corusal back this week, but they're still obviously missing a, a lot of players. I mean, James Fisher-Harris wasn't there and we know how much of a big boost he can be. Um, and this is not going to only just be a boost to the fans uh, but and to the staff, but the squad, but it, just the whole community that they've got up there because if, if you've never been to Penrith um, we've been um, and it is a real community vibe everything is the the livelihood of everything up there so this will really give the whole team and ethos at the club a big boost to, to help them go that one step further this year the Roosters completed at 75%, which is way, way below their usual standard. Um, Panthers completed at 87%, which was reflected in the gameplay as Panthers looked a lot more polished and refined. Uh, clearly wanted to show that last week's poor defeat, and they were really poor, it must be said again. I mean, it is Melbourne, but when that's a rematch of last year's grand final and very much a high chance of being this year's grand final, you need to be putting in a better performance regardless of the players that you've got around you. Um, and they were pretty much above in all stats apart from kick metres. Uh, Penrith were comfortably superior and in fairness the game should have been a wider margin they probably should have put the, the Roosters to the sword a little bit more but is that not Sydney Roosters all over even when they're out even when they're down on troops even when they're probably not going to win they're never going to going to give in and you're never really going to get a blowout score against them because they'll always battle out and, and still grind for it every inch whether it's the first minute or the 79th and regardless of scoreline um, the, the doggies must absolutely be licking their lips at the thought of Matt Burton in blue and white next year because the 22-year was outstanding this game, completely ran the show. And if you've not seen his try, it breaks through them on the edge and absolutely leaves Tedesco in the dust, does not even get a hand on him. And if you're leaving Teddy down in the dirt, then you know you've got to be doing something right. In this game, he got two tries, both through individual pieces of brilliance from himself. Um, six tackle busts, an offload, three line breaks and 212 run metres, which is actually the highest of his NRL career as well. It's a wonderful, wonderful performance from the Dubbo Dynamo, which I am trademarking because I hope that nickname uh, catches on because I think it's an actual pretty good good one from me. Um, if there is talk of rushing Nathan Clearing back before his rehab has been completed, it must be really refreshing and, and reassuring for the Panthers to know that, that that Burton can not only fill in this position, but actually be the creative spark and lead the team around his pitch. He's not just there to make, uh, make a number up, he's there to make a difference and he does it so many times. Joey Manu popped up around the park on another uh, another strong display. It was at the end of a fine move by the Roosters to score a diving effort in the corner. Um, it caught 206 run metres. One, I mean, that's a little bit less from his, what, 370 was it the other week? But it's still in over 200 is a remarkable achievement. He got a try and offload, two line breaks and four tackle busts. And coming on, I think there's a theme of versatility in this podcast. Because if you were saying that Jack Bird is the most versatile, then this guy will definitely have something to say about it. can play anywhere at the moment. Um 
and he's just an incredible asset to have at your team. We've seen him fill in on the wing. We've seen him go at fullback. Centre, obviously, his primary position, and we've seen him actually play in the halves as well and, and, and do a really, really good job there. Um, he has sort of a, an unusual ro- role as a centre compared to some of the other teams because he's very free-roaming, and you don't really get centres in this competition who are allowed to have much freedom. He plays very similar to how Luttrell and Tommy Turbo play in origin when they're playing at the centre, can do what he wants. Probably not as weight as, as Tommy Turbo does in terms of like popping up all over the pitch, but he will move around the back line and, and fully get uh, into the game and more of an attacking outlet than probably some of the other centres in the competition. Um, one thing that has been mentioned, he's actually not playing this week now. It was announced in the team when the, the team lineups were announced. Um, but Jared Wahea Hargreaves, what hell, butchered that pronunciation. Jared Wahea Hargreaves only lasted 12 minutes on the pitch um, he was sin bin for rook infringement, seemed a bit bemused by the decision from the referee, but it was clear as day what he was doing. Um, we, we know that he's this type of player. We say it all the time, there's players that aren't like that and players that are like that. He is a player that is like that. And, and when he's applied correctly, his tenacity is perfect for the Roosters and really gives them a kickstart. He's won them games just from his aggression and being uh, demonstrated on the game correctly. But this is an example of when it doesn't click for the big Kiwi. I don't think it had too much of an effect on the game because he was only on for 12 minutes. Uh, but yeah, it, it was really poor from him. And obviously now we've seen that the decision with him obviously missing out and getting rested this week. In terms of teams that are always in the mix now for the, for the, that, that third and fourth, obviously Parra on really poor form. It's an eight-point gap now between the third and the fourth spot. Out of the teams in the mix, I'll just give you a run through. We're battling out for that fourth spot. You've got the Roosters, you've got the Eels and you've got Manly. Roosters, I've got Broncos, Dragons, Bunnies, Raiders. Eels, very rough. They've got Manly, Cowboys, Storm and Panthers. While the Manly have probably got the best running you could hope for in Eels, Raiders, Dogs and Cowboys. Jamie, I'll come to you first. With that running, who are you backing to pinch that final fourth spot? And obviously how important that is in the final series. Eels are done, mate. Cross (laughs) them off, throw them in the bin. They're totally done. Um, I'm not even going to talk about the Eels because Manly, Storm and Panthers, you you couldn't get three out of games at the minute. Cowboys... It's a, it looks like an easy win on paper, but, you know, both teams are playing so far at the minute, you never know. But I think if you split it up into the next two weeks, Roosters, Broncos and Dragons, I think they're two. They, they probably end up winning both their games. Manly have got Eels, which is still going to be a tough game. And then the Raiders, which is a really tough game. But the last two, Roosters have the Bunnies and the Raiders. And then Manly of the Doggies and the Cowboys, who were probably the two the two worst teams at the minute. So the actual running, I think Manly could nick it. Um, I will go with Manly finishing fourth. I think Eels are sixth by a long way. I think they get looking on form, and if everyone stays fit, I think Eels will finish sixth and get, then get knocked out by Newcastle. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to go Manly fourth. Manly fourth. You raised some eyebrows there at that six spot prediction, Woody. What are your thoughts in the runnings? I agree with it, man. I predicted it as well, but it doesn't sting any less anyway. Uh, I'm going to go with the Roosters, but I think it will be very tight. I think in their run, they take out everyone except the Bunnies. Eels probably pick up only one more win, and that'll obviously be against the Cowboys. And I think Manly probably have one slip up in them. Could come down to points difference, maybe. So it's set up really nicely, but I'll go with Roosters to take it. I'm just going to call this now. I'm going to say I think Broncos will beat Roosters next week. Ooh, that's a big controversial decision and you heard it here first. I am all, I'm going to say that Manly are going to take that fourth spot. Um, but another topic we could talk about is does it actually benefit the team finishing fourth, having to take on the team at the top, which is Storm? Or would Manly rather finish fifth 
and vice versa for the Roosters and take on whichever team finishes eighth and get that momentum going. As I say, we could talk about that sort of thing all day long. To wrap up my points on this game, Burton, of course, with the five points. Victor, the inflictor, with four points, was very, very good. Got a try and absolutely put a great hit on all legos as well, which uh, was nice to see him not get banned for a change. Uh, Sorensen with three, Joey Manu two, and Taylor and May on debut. Very, very impressive for the Panthers. I think he caught 206 metres and, and got six tackle busts. And uh, if that's his debut, I can't see what else is going to come from him. Up next, we had the game which which was very much touted as the game of the round. Uh, the very much informed Manly Warringah Seagulls um, against the Melbourne Storm, who were absolutely cruising and could not be going any better at the moment. Woody, you watch this one for us. I bet it was a great one to watch, mate. A great treat after watching Para the day before anyway. And it's one of the most hotly anticipated games of the season. And for me, it absolutely delivered. Rounded off a really good Super Saturday, to be fair. Free cracking games and... I think for both of these teams, this is the test they really needed heading towards the finals after you know, steamrolling through the, the bottom half of the table. Melbourne, absolutely full value for their win, but loads of the points in this game came down to individual errors from either side. You know, they're coughing up tries and penalties to one another. And if you look at the team stats for it, there's a few which really stick out for me. So Storm had 58% possession, had eight more minutes of the ball in hand. Manly only completed at 67%, which is pretty shocking. And even worse, only diffused 31% of the kicks which were at them. 12 errors for Manly, seven penalties, six six against. You can't do that against any team, but especially not against a storm side who are already dominating, you know, on, a, on this mad run and they're turning the screw from the get go. Melbourne really should have been out of sight at half time, but somehow they went in at 8 0. Scored early on when Kenny Bromwich bounced over and then pushing for another just before the break. But Heinz for a horrible intercept, which Jason Saab picked off 10 metres out. You're not catching him. The second half, the game really exploded into life. Within the first 15 minutes, they scored two tries apiece. Turbo was involved in three of them. He set up two, but dropped a clanger to let Justin Olam in. And Storm eventually put it to bed late on. There's another monster kick, which wasn't dealt with. Garrick botched three attempts at tidying it up. And again, Storm don't need that kind of help. So Shacklin Turbo was the order of the day for Melbourne. They managed it in the sense that he didn't make any line breaks or score a try, but... On a quiet day at the office, he still managed 153 run metres, four line break assists, two try assists and five busts, which is not bad by any stretch. And I thought Josh Adokar's kick pressure on his new South Wales teammate was a massive positive for Melbourne. And the speed and presence of him didn't give Turbo enough time to process his next move with the ball when he's taken the high ones, led to that mistake, which I mentioned. And it's obviously a very well thought out plan from Melbourne and something you think other teams may take on. Now, you know, we've discussed in previous weeks, how do you stop Turbo? You know, how do you make him have a quiet day? And maybe that's the blueprint. Harry Grant, he's so good at making metres at a dummy half. In 98 metres from dummy half and... 132 in total. He's not your classic scooting number nine, not like a Damien Cook that we've mentioned in weeks gone by. Has a really low centre of gravity and he's, he's able to power through those broken marker defensive and he's always playing heads up rugby and he's a really smart thing. He's really smart thinking out of dummy half. Cam Munster, I mentioned his kicks there, but they did absolutely cause havoc and he got a crucial late score himself. Jerome Hughes, he's such a running threat, has been for the entirety of 2021. He, had a, a quiet-ish opening hour, but he popped up when it really mattered. Uh, involved in the late crucial try, and Justin Earlham absolutely nails as ever. Managed two tries himself, and you know, he's an absolute beast. And, uh, discussion point for Melbourne then, and kind of how they use Nico Hines and Brian Pappenhausen in the running. Obviously, Pappenhausen's been out injured for a while. He's coming back off the interchange. I'll throw this one to you, Jamie, but you know, is there a way that they both fit in together in a starting team. Do we keep Pappenhausen in the 14 show whilst he's trying to find a bit of match fitness at the minute? Yeah, I'm not totally sure you fit them both in. What I did notice, because I watched this game as well, 
when when Hines was on the field, obviously Melbourne were eight 0 up quite early on, but it stayed eight 0 for a long time until Manly pulled it back to eight all. Obviously going into half time, when it was eight 0 it could have easily been a walkover like it's been the past couple of weeks. It could have been about 20, 26 nil, but they, they just didn't have that extra push. And I felt as though Melbourne became a better side when Papenhausen came on and started giving them that bit more fire in attack. Um, and I, I, I don't know if, if Hines is a very well, well thought out fullback. He, he puts in passes really nicely. He's, he runs a behind line really nice, but Papenhausen will, will spot a gap out of nowhere and runs really well off Harry Grant. Um but it depends what they're, what they're kind of looking for. I, I, I feel as though, obviously, Hines is moving either way, so we know he's going at the end of the season. I think in, in long term, I think Papenhausen is the better choice at fullback. But in terms of playing him together, I'm, I'm just not I'm not entirely sure how you go about it. Yeah, I'm with you there, man. I'm not sure they can fit them both signs together at the minute, so Papenhausen probably stays in 14 for now as he's working back in. Jed, I'll come to you on this one, and hopefully you've seen Daily Cherry Evans' horrible short dropout. Fought Kyle Phelps in Origin 2 was probably the worst I'd seen and might not be beaten, but this probably pushes it. A 6-0 down in a massive game. Got a, a goal line dropout, sticks it five metres and then Storm kick a penalty to go 8-0 out. What are your thoughts on that one, mate? It's one of the, I mean, a lot of teams seem to be favouring this more and more, but doing it in such a big game when you're going to have more eyes watching it than ever, you've got to really make sure that it sticks. The boat that DC is, it won't, it won't bother him, it won't phase him, it'll be straight on to next week's game because obviously he's, he's, a, he's a professional in terms of his, his, his game management himself. But yes, silly, silly. Um, obviously, let them get a penalty to put it eight. Yeah, I, just can't, I can't get it. I'm not really a fan of it. Um, if I was a coach, I would be instructing my players to do it, but it's one of them. If it comes off, then it's the best tactical decision in the world. It's 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 always one of them that it's better to look back on it in hindsight. But yeah, not a fan, but yeah, it won't phase daily for too long, Callum, mate. No, and they did get back into the game from there and got back to 8-0. Last talking point I kind of wanted to mention and really good to bring it up with two fashion icons, but a bit of a Marmite one, a bit of a Marmite reaction to this kind of love or hate, but what were your thoughts on the Melbourne shirt collar this week? Beautiful. Give me it all day long. Obviously, you've seen me wear my old vintage Tigers top. I love I love kind of a, a thick thick, tea, uh, thick uh, playing jersey with, it, with a collar. Yeah, give me it all day long. Big fan from Amy as, as well. I thought it was a very, very nicely designed jersey and I thought the collar just topped it off with that nice yellow tinge to it to perfection. Yeah, big, big fan. Bring back the collar. Full house things. I loved it as well. So, yeah, don't know why anyone wouldn't like it. Rounding up my points from that one then. Harry Grant with the five. Justin Ellen with four. Cam Munster with three. Jerome Hughes with two. And, of course, Turbo sneaking in with the one. On to the next game then, and amazingly, a big win for the West Tigers. It is Canary Bankstown Bulldogs 16, West Tigers 28, and Jamie, as you watching your boys. First off, mate, I know we were discussing this before we came on the podcast. I think you've done about over about 40 to 50 podcasts with us now, and I'm fairly certain this is the first time the Tigers have won and the Cowboys and Deals have lost in the same round. I, don't, I won't put money on it, but I, could, I, I think this is the first time it's happened. Um, for anybody unaware... I, I, I shaved my head earlier this year because I was starting to go bald. And I'm pretty sure I put it down to the fact that it was COVID and the stress and I've got hereditary baldness in my family. But I'm definitely sure that it's down to the West Tigers these days because they don't have put me under some stress. I tell you what, this game was enough for anyone struggling with insomnia. Currently, you know, just, just whack this on, on repeat 80 minutes over and over again and watch NRL and you'll, you'll be sending off to, to Dreamland instantly. Blumineck, we are one slog of a side to watch at the minute. And although I'm obviously very happy we've got the two points, we're four points off the playoffs because we're definitely making the eight. 
Um, but this sort of performance against any other side, and we're absolute toast. We're, we're, it's another 40 points against us. Uh, you know, for the Bulldogs, it was just rinse and repeat. I'll, I'll say it week in, week out. I've said it since week one. I'll keep saying it again. They try hard, they work hard, but they've just got quite poor quality and they end up fizzling out. You know, it's, it's as simple as that. Their eyes and plans are firmly on 2022 and beyond. I'm guessing it's the same for Trent Barrett and his, and his side. I, I imagine they've already resided to the fact that they're going to claim the Wooden Spoon in 2021. I, can't, I think the, the game where they were going to pick up points were against us. I know the players again in a couple of weeks' time, but they need to at least have two wins, I think, now to even get off the bottom of the table. And I don't see that coming. Um, as has been the case for, for the vast majority of 2021, Adam Dewey is our difference maker. I'll, I'll, I'll moan about the Tigers all, all day long, but this bloke is... is our best player this season by a country mile, especially now Dave Laurie is out for the season. Obviously, he had that brief spell in the centres, which was a, quite a minor success, to be fair to him. But he, he needs to feature in the middle of the park for me. He's got such a good effect on every single player he's involved in. His kicking game is improving week upon week. Players obviously trust him with the ball as well when they're running off him as well. Like I think we've all played with that type of player where we, we want we want a certain player to pass us the ball because we know it's going to be direct. We know it's going to be accurate. We know it's going to be on time. And I think Adam Dewey has that effect on players as well. He got one try assist in this game and he got 12 points about 28. In, enough said. Without him, we wouldn't have won. It's, it's as simple as that. Our completion, 73%, really poor. Um, probably standard for us this year. We made 13 errors. We conceded eight, six agains. But to actually shine a light on the positives of this game for us, our kicking game was much improved for, for what we've had in the past two months, I'd probably say. We even managed to get a 40-20 as well, which helped us out in a poor period of the game. Linking back to Adam Dewey, you know, his bombs are some of the best in the NRL, in my opinion. And alternatively, we actually diffused 88% of the kicks that we were receiving. Quite promising, to say the least. Moving on to the Bulldogs, I don't really know what else we can say about the Bulldogs because they don't really improve. They don't really get any worse. Um, and it's just, like I say, they're just kind of ticking over until next year, I believe. I feel as though this current incarnation of the Bulldogs would be a much, would play much better when they actually don't have time to think. You know, they, they react very quickly and they play quite well in broken play and poor market defending. You know, you've got the likes of Nick Meaney and Jake Avrilo who are quite quick on the th- on the feet. They're quite elusive. They're quite agile attackers. And this showed numerous times in this game, actually. And, and obviously there was one big break up in the middle of the field where they ended up scoring. It was a really good piece of play. And and if the NRL transitioned the NRL into a, into a nice tournament, and I think the Bulldogs would genuinely be top eight performers, and especially next year when they get the likes of Josh Adokar and, and Matt Dufty and... Uh, Matt Burton as well. But it's, it's it's when they have a player to a spot on a field or they've got to work percentage players or they've got to grind out a win. They just don't have the game management. They just don't have a clue at the minute, bless them. And I do feel sorry for them. And it must be awful being a Bulldogs fan at times to times. You know, we mentioned it earlier on in the podcast, Ken Mamalo, but he's, he's starting to bed in, I'm thinking, for the Tigers. I follow, obviously, it's quite obvious I'm a Tigers fan. I follow a lot of West Tigers accounts and fans on Twitter at times. And, and they just seem to roast him quite a bit. And, I, and I, I think it'd be interesting to see what you two think as well. He gets called lazy, he gets called born idle, and he gets called slow as well. But, you know, he hasn't really torn up any trees since he's signed for us. But he's got four tries in his, in his six games that he's played for us. And that's enough for me at the minute. You know, he's a different type of winger to David Nofaluma. He's, you know, David Nofaluma is, is, is going to get hard grafting metres. Um, he's going to work hard from the back. But Marlowe's going to win you jewels in the air he's going to be dominant in collision he's going to be these type of players who's going to work hard and really scare your opposition number I believe as well and just to kind of tick it finally off he wouldn't be a game of the Bulldogs against the Tigers or the Bulldogs in general if Jack Evington didn't get a sin bin so congratulations to Jack 
um, on that one again, he's probably going to miss another couple of weeks. So fair play to him. And we'll see how long that one lasts next time round. First off, like, I am purely on the Tigers bus now. We've won a game for the first time in about seven years. Mathematically, we can still make the eight, which is hilarious to me for seeing how horrendous we've been this year. And it's been probably our worst season in a long, long time, which says something. Mathematically, Jed, we can make the eight. I'm going to ask you now, as one of my oldest mates, as one of my best mates, as a bloke who knows his rugby league, will, well, actually can or will and the Tigers make the eight? That's all I've got to say. <laughs> no. You, Tigers have got about as much chance as they're making the eight as the Cowboys do, and it's pretty much non-existent. So, no, I think uh, it's definitely not happening, unfortunately. Other teams are just better, and our teams are just rubbish. So, no, no, no. Emphatically, one million percent, no. What about you, Woody? My chance to sneak into Jamie's good books then, is it? See, technically can, but still need to win the remaining four and need a few other results to go their way. I can't see it either, but I think uh, we'll string you along for another few weeks and ask us again after the Panthers game. When we beat the Cowboys next week, I am purely on the Tigers bus. We will make the playoffs and we've still got the Bulldogs to play as well. But in true Tigers fashion, we will definitely lose by about 40 points. Um, but last but not least, Woody, we'll come very quickly on to this. Obviously, we know that the Bulldogs have signed a litany of backs for next year. That You know, Duffy, Josh Anokar, Brent Naden, Matt Burton. And we've, we've already spoke about the kind of backlog of, of backs they've got at the minute that aren't even getting a game. You know, you've got Corey Allen, who's sitting in the reserves. You've got um, Nick Kotchik, who's nowhere near his standard. Jake Avrilo, we spoke about. Nick Meany. How many of these blokes do you think are actually going to get a game next year? Uh, yeah, like I said, the back one's going to look loads different. I think the three coming in, you mentioned, plus Naden plus are probably going to definitely start. Meany's going to be off to Storm. Hopper is off to Saints. So there's going to be a lot of change anyway. Maybe Avril and Allen get another chance, see how they go with better players around them, maybe. Um, and you've got, you've got the likes of Manu and Shupu who are playing this week, who are, are very inexperienced anyway, so it's tough to judge on them. But yeah, I definitely think at least a couple of those you mentioned will be on their way out, probably. Totally forgot about Nick Meany to Storm. I think that's going to be such a good pick-up for him. Um, yeah, Adam Dewey, five points. Ken Mamalo, four. Nick Meany, that man, three. Luciano Lelou, who's been a good player for us this year, two. And Josh Jackson, Ever the underrated back rower for Bulldogs, I've given him one point. This is the point of the podcast where we're about to round off, but we've still got a couple of minutes left. It's where me and Muddy put up our feet. We, If we smoked, we would smoke a cigar, we'd have a whiskey, and it's Gold Coast Titans 36, North Queensland Cowboys 14, and Jed Amos Goddard will give us his 10th rant of the season. Oh my God, I am so done with watching the Cowboys attempt to play rugby league. I'm sick of the same issues occurring week in, week out. We are, I genuinely think we've probably gone in this last period of five or six games. It's the worst I've ever seen as players. We've completely regressed. I believe we've even regressed from last season now after progressing in throughout the middle pack and, and really putting some decent performances. I just don't understand what's happening. Um, I'm fine. I will, but I'm finding it very hard to give Todd Payton a benefit of the doubt with some of the decisions that he's making. I just, yeah, I, I don't know what is going on at the club. The players look confused. They look disinterested. They look like they have 100% already checked out for the season, bar a few players. Even the players that were supposed to rely on just start clicking in, in, in any way, shape or form. And I'm just going to read you the disparity in the stats in this game. Because Gold Coast should have won. We would, should not have scored 14 points at all. We probably deserved about a try, I'd say. And Gold Coast maybe should have should have 
scored more. We had 66% completion, 66%, 43% possession. Um, in terms of run metres, uh, the Gold Coast ran for 500 more metres than us. Um, we had 13 errors, 31 missed tackles, 10 penalties conceded compared to only four that the Titans did. They only had eight errors and they only missed 16 tackles. It's, 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 and this was the Titans that were down to 10 men for, for uh, sorry, down to 12 men for 10 minutes because they got a Simbin in as well. We just have no anything about us. We are bereft. We are that we are now how I feel, felt about the Broncos last year and that they've got good players, but they're just not absolutely doing anything. We, we at the moment we deserve to finish with the spoon. We won't, luckily, because the doggies are just a little bit worse, but we deserve it because we're just absolutely nothing from, from any of our players, and it's not what the fans deserve. Um, yeah, and I can't wait for this season to be over. I'm glad that I'm unfortunately unavailable to do the podcast next week, so Jamie can't go up too much when we get battered. Um yeah, really disappointing. And on that note, I'm just going to talk about the Gold Coast because if I take away my North Queensland Cowboys goggles, Gold Coast were really, really good. Every single try that they scored was very impressive. Um, and we, we talk about the Titans throughout the season that they, they are a bit sloppy at times, um, that they don't really do things as well as they could have done. But their attack was on point. Um, and I said they probably they didn't deserve to, to concede 14 points because the defence was actually quite good in parts, as I mentioned. Only 16 missed tackles is pretty what it probably a good level of missed tackles in the NRL. Um, and yeah, Bo Fermor, who, who looking back now, I probably should have given points to on my player of the year. He was really impressive. Probably got one of the, the try assist slash offloads of the season. If you've not seen it, he was getting tackled on his way down. No luck, out the back, flick pass straight to Brian Kelly and walked over to score a very, very nice try. Um, AJ Brimson was very electric at the back, obviously doing what he, what he know he can do. Um, and Brian Kelly, who, who scored a try as well, was, was really impressive. Tino doing the hard graft and, and not, make, not really making any errors. A real complete performance from the Gold Coast Titans. And one that they've probably been, the, when they, even they have picked up wins, it's not been complete. So, And I think this will put them in really good stead now to try and build on some form. Of, um, I think they've won three out of the last four, maybe. And obviously with the, the competition being based up in Queensland at the moment, every game will either be at the the Seabus the Stadium or Suncorp um, until obviously things do calm down with COVID over there and I think they've got a real good opportunity of, of making the playoffs like they would have hoped at the start of the season maybe even doing something in there one big reason why they're playing so well at the moment is because of Ash Taylor um, I don't know where he's found this new lease of life off um, obviously his contract's still up in the air he will not be getting the money that he's currently on I think it's a million dollars a year um, Woody what have you thought I know you watched the uh, the, the Titans last week what are your thoughts on Ash Taylor's renaissance at the moment, as it were? Yeah, I'm with you. I don't know where it's come from, but he's looked really good for a few weeks now. So credit to them. And it's tied in with the Titans getting themselves back in the playoffs. You mentioned his contracts up then, but he's obviously trying to maximise his next one and play him into a fairly decent one, wherever that might be. You know, Raiders have been really heavily linked with him for somewhere between 250 and 300,000, which is a massive drop on the million he's somehow on at the minute. If someone can get him at that cut price and he's playing something like this, it could be a fairly decent deal. And I've been really critical of him, so it's good to see him playing so well at the minute. Yeah, I feel like he's, I've mentioned a few times, he's a confidence player now that he's got some confidence about and hopefully he can carry it on into the finals if the Titans get there. Very quickly over to you, Jamie. Tamalolo has been played as, as an edge forward. He's not in his preferred position of lock. Toddy Payton said he's going to stick with it for the rest of the season. I personally think it really minimises the effect and impact that he can have on a game. And it has been noted, obviously, that his defensive positioning, when he's obviously having to move a little bit more rather in the middle, is uh, frail at times. Why do you think Todd's doing this? And why do you think he's, he's not wanting to change his mind about it? 
he obviously seems like quite a stubborn coach. It's either going to be the way, the way his kind of um, strategy is or people need to fit into it or fit out. I think what, you know, Tamalolo has had a few injuries this year. I know he's had a few hand injuries and whatnot, but he's, he's on your day, he's your best player and he's been one of your best players in the past, you know, five, six years. He's won a premiership. He's got to a grand final with you as well. You, I think Peyton either needs to stick to a, a, a strategy in terms of which is going to suit Tamalolo or kind of get rid of him because... He's on a million dollars a season to be playing out of position and not even half as effective as he, as he should be. Um, he's not even been spoken about whatsoever this year. I, I haven't even looked, but I would guess he's hardly even got any player this season points for us. Um, and seasons gone by, he'd be up there with the likes of, you know, Tedesco and Turbo and Cody Walker and so on as well. So it, I, I don't know what's going on, but they need to sort it quickly. Yeah, it's something that needs to be discussed in either make a decision for next season because otherwise it's just not going to have any desired effect I think at all the points of this game Ash Taylor fully deserved his five points AJ Brimson with 14 of Fatas and Malawi with three yes nailed that pronunciation uh, Brian Kelly with two and Greg Mazu you tip for a big season Jamie continuing with some very good form looking back now both are more really really unlucky not to get in this player of the uh, player of the season points probably deserved three or four points but that was probably just obviously hard to pick so many players played well uh, and that wraps up on to Super League. Uh, Jamie, we're not going to speak about the capitulation that is Wakefield Trinity because I've had enough heartache talking about one rubbish team for a week. So if we can skip that completely, that would be marvellous. Yes, mate. Obviously, there's been a ba- another backlog of Super League fixtures. A lot of them were actually the last Monday when we were recording the podcast. So that was Casford Tigers 16, Huddersfield Giants 34, Hull FC 10, St. Ellen's 42, Hull KR 16, Catalan Dragons 23, Leeds Rhinos 18, Casford Tigers 32. And then we've had a, a couple more as well. Wigan Warriors, 16. Salford Red Devils, 6. Catalan Dragons, unfortunately, going back to seasons gone by form, losing 34-12 in a top-of-the-table clash against St. Ellens. Huddersfield Giants, 22. Wakefield Trinity, 18, which was an 18-0 up for Wakefield at one point. And OKR um, overcame Lee Centurions last night as well in quite a thrilling game. Um, Woody, I'll come to you first, mate. Well, obviously, we've only got a short period of time left in this, but what stood out for you in, the, in, in this week? And obviously... Um, there's not many teams have really stood up. Huddersfield have got two wins. Um, Casford, Casford have won and lost. St. Ellen's two wins. Catalan have kind of gone back to their old self, mate. What, what stands out for you? It is so hard to keep track of it all and who's playing who and who's playing when. But look, at, uh, quite surprised by Cass turning leads over so well, to be honest. And kind of never know which team or what performance Castleford are going to deliver. But thought Leeds would uh, really push for the playoffs in that one. So that caught me off a bit. Really good week for St. Helens. Confirmed that Will Hopwarty signing to replace Kevin Nagama. See that really good run for Catalans has finally come to an end. So we're going to be between those two for the top two. And then uh, from Salford, they've obviously had a bit of signing news. Lee Mossops had an early retirement this week due to a shoulder injury. It's a, a really big shame. Great career from him, but having to end at 32 was a bit of a sad one for him. And they've signed Brody Croft as well, which might work out well for them. He's really young and I think that could be a, a fairly decent signing for them. What about you, Jed? Very quickly, mate. Obviously, if you want to talk about Wakefield, you can do, but what stood out for you in this past seven days of Super League? I won't talk about Wakey because it's another embarrassment how much we folded. And it says a lot that Chris Chester has openly called out his forward pack, saying that they're soft and not up to the standard that we need to be in the Super League. Um, big thanks to Hulk KR for beating Lee and making sure that we stay off the bottom because if it weren't for Lee Centurion's this season, I'd be very worried that we were going to get relegated. Uh, but luckily, hopefully, unless they put a real start string and some performance together, um, it looks like they'll be the team that will go down. And yes, St. Ellen's just carry on doing St. Ellen's things, mate. Um, really disappointing with that game. 
Um, that should have been up there for one of the game of the seasons, but it just probably went the way that if you'd look at Catalan's history in terms of uh, latter stage of the season, it'd go that the way that you'd want it to, or that you wouldn't want it to, should have said. But yeah, so hard to comment because everything's up and down with Super League. And to be honest, I don't even know where the top from the bottom is with how many fixtures are still to go. Um, but yeah, Wakey is still rubbish. St. Helens are still good. Probably sums the season up at the moment. Thank you, Jed and Woody. Thank you, everybody else, for listening to episode 97 of Three Blocks and the Rugby League podcast. Head on over to all our social media pages where you'll find a variety of content which will hopefully pique your interest. Also, please give us a rating on all our podcasting platforms. It's been going up recently, which is brilliant, and it's really good to see everybody contributing towards that as well. We are available on all our podcasting platforms. Keep an eye out for any future podcasts and interviews or have a listen to our archive. Say it every week, Tom Johnston, Barry McDermott, Adrian Morley, Emily Rudge, Reese Lynn has recently come out last week. That's gone off like a house on fire. It's, it's a really good interview with a really down-to-earth bloke, England international and Wakefield Trinity player. Um, and this coming Thursday as well, we've got something different. We're going to record it after this, so we, it would be really interesting, I believe. Topic of the week is back. It's our top five players who should be given another chance in the NRL. Keep an eye out for that one. Keep your ears to the ground. Thank you very much, J.D. Moss Goddard. Thank you, Callum Wood, and we'll catch you all down the road.